Okay, I'm so excited to bring you this interview. Interviews are so important because I always say if you are trying to pursue a dream, it's so important to get around someone who's done it. And today I have an interview with Kat Harris to share with you. Kat Harris is such a dreamer and she's such a doer. She is the host of the Refined Collective podcast. She's the co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. And her first book, Sexless in the City, hits bookstores this week. She's also been a full-time photographer for the last decade with her work has been featured in Vanity Fair, GQ, Forbes, People, Who, What, Where, Us Weekly, Glamour UK. And she's really known for coaching and equipping women around the world on the topics of dating, relationships, singleness, sexuality, faith, and how to really build a healthy, biblical, sexual ethic rooted in freedom, truth, and grace. How so? How amazing is that? Honestly, through this whole conversation, I felt like there were all these concepts I had in my head that were kind of triggering, honestly, and she just kept erasing the definition and opening my mind, and it really brought so much freedom to a lot of spaces in my heart that were rooted in shame. There's such a shame culture around sexuality and our bodies and, you know, our salvation and as women. So I just, I hope you step into this conversation with an open mind. Ultimately, Kat's vision is for women to know their beauty, identity, worth, and value, and to experience untapped freedom and joy in their lives, regardless of their relationship status. We did go a little long on this interview, but it is so good. So I hope you will stick around for the journey. And I really hope you'll check out the show notes and pick up her book, pick up her resources. She is such a giver and um, just a wealth of knowledge. So make sure you go follow her and check out her podcast too. Let's dive in. Hey dreamers, welcome to the Dream Planning Podcast. If you've been led here, I believe it was on purpose. You are created and loved by God and your life is full of purpose. If you've been sitting in a season of searching or unfulfillment and you're ready to change your life and hear from God, this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Polly Payne, the CEO and founder of Horatio Printing, and I'm here to lead you in tactical, practical, faith-led trainings to help make your God-sized dreams a reality in your life and your business. Your dreams matter because you matter. So open up your planner, pour a cup of coffee, and let's dream together. Yay. Well, I'm so glad you're here, Kat. Um, you were such an amazing dreamer. And I was just telling the listeners before a little bit about you, but I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself and introduce yourself to the dreamers. Yeah. So, well, first of all, Polly, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I love what you're up to. I love how business savvy you are. I feel like whenever I connect with you or see Horatio printing online, I just get this like jolt of inspiration. I'm like, yes, stay creative, (laughs) stay pushing the envelope. So I'm just really excited to be chatting with you. So thanks for having me, girl. Of course. Yeah. And okay, goodness, a little bit about me. I am a Texas girl. I goodness, I graduated with a Bible degree. I immediately moved to Southern California to work in the nonprofit world for a few years. And then I transitioned into the photography industry. I somehow landed a job with one of the top editorial and celebrity photographers in the nation. And I did not even know how to turn on a camera. So that's a crazy story in itself. And then sort of four years into working with this photographer and having shot New York Fashion Week and editorial campaigns and all of all that crazy craziness, I decided to start my own photography business, which then led me to make the move from Southern California to New York City with like big hopes and dreams of becoming the, the next big editorial photographer and fashion photographer in New York. What, what, what year did you, um, sorry to interrupt, but what year did you jump into New York? That was 2013. So 2013, I made the hop, skip, jump from LA to New York. And in the meantime of shooting runway editorial fashion, I started a little blog called The Refined Woman. And it was sort of this, a style. it wasn't sort of, it was a style blog. I just get embarrassed by saying that because if you go <laughs> way back in the archives of my website, you'll see some 
really, really bad outfit posts <laughs> because I just wasn't, it just really stressed me out to be honest. And so over the years, as I also was building my photography business, I was building this online blog and it really became a space that is a space to tell stories where I really kind of remove that shiny mask of having it all together. Cause I 1000% don't and talk about life, spirituality, dating, relationships, God, personal growth, kind of all the things and everything in between and normalizing conversations that may seem more taboo, whether that's in career world or faith world or health and wellness world. And I started a podcast about three years ago called The Refined Collective, and that launches weekly and is just an extension of that. And I also have my first book coming out in April called Sexless in the City. Hello. So So that's a little bit about me. I feel like I could go on a long tangent, but (laughs) that's a little bit about who I am. I love it. One of the things that really draws me to you is how you've pursued so many creative dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, I know so many people, I mean, want to start maybe as a blog or maybe be a photographer or a podcaster, but you've done it all. Like you've pursued these dreams and and it seems like doors have opened for you in such um, interesting ways. I love your journey to New York. I have a similar um, New York story. I actually moved there in 09. So I was curious Mm. when you um, landed there, what a special place. Um, Did we have any overlap there? I think we did. Yeah, because I left in 2018. Got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we were, I feel like we had parallel lives there where yeah. we kind of ran in similar circles and had yeah. mutual friends, but didn't really know each other. Unfortunately, it's a big city. It's a big, it's a big city. city. It's a big city. <laughs> true, true that. Um, but I love the way you've pursued your dreams of photography and the podcast and the book. And in terms of, you know, if someone's like, Hey, I really want to get into photography or I really want to start a podcast. Like, what would you say to the person in that space? I would say, Oh my goodness. Well, first, just even back to your comment about, you know, all these cool doors have been opened for me and my career Mm -hmm. and all of that. I think there's this, I kind of want to debunk this idea that a, a door has to be open in order for me to walk through it or explore something new. And sometimes a door is open and I walk mm-hmm. through it, but sometimes just because a door is open doesn't mean that I should walk through it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just because there isn't a door doesn't mean that I can't create one. And mm-hmm. just because a door, I read a quote yesterday and it said, just because a door closes doesn't mean you have to leave that door doors open and cl- like, that's just how doors work. They open and close. Mm-hmm. So you have the permission to reopen it. And so I say all of that because so much of my career has been creating new doors and knocking down doors and opening them and being curious. And so I think with the, the pot, whether you're wanting to start a podcast or another business, I think the first thing is to know your why you know, Simon Sinek says in his like infamous Ted talk, how great leaders inspire action Mm -hmm. that everyone knows what they do. Some people, like a lot of people know how to do it and Mm -hmm. very few people know why they do it. Mm -hmm. And when you can connect with your why, like your deeper sense of purpose, that is what makes businesses like Apple that just goes far above all the other computer companies, right? I mean, Apple is just a computer company and they have MP3 players and laptops. What makes them different? They go to your heart. They say, we think differently. They invite people into a deeper sense of purpose and story. And so people come to me all the time and are like, I want to start a business. And I'm like, great. Why? Why? What's your why? And also, the entrepreneurial path. I mean, you know what, Polly, like it, it ain't sexy. Oh God. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, if you're, if your why is I want passive income so I can have more freedom and space and time. It's like, okay, next. Like, yes, because yes. I mean, have people created passive income businesses? Is there a thing called the four hour work week? Sure. Is that what I've done? Nope. Like <laughs> right. uh, it's a very active income and it's, right. it's, it's fickle and it's a, it is a difficult journey. I love what you said about opening doors and like 
creating your own door. Um, I think the big thing too with Christians is we get caught up with like, well, I'm waiting for God to open the door. And there is so much truth in waiting on God and being Mm -hmm. in a season of trusting God in the waiting, but don't get it twisted. It's a hundred percent contingent on what you do. And then a hundred percent contingent on God to come through. Like you still have to give your hundred, right? Yes. And I think often in faith circles, we use those, we use those terms of whether it's in dating, well, you know, it'll happen when it happens or, you know, God, I don't want to like take control over God. You know, if God want, if God's going to bring that person in my life and it's like, okay, like, are you a princess in a dungeon, like waiting yeah. to be rescued? <laughs> I have bills to pay. <laughs> and also like God works through our movement. Yes. I think that like God move, God moves in God's presence and God's peace. So when Mm -hmm. I am like chaotic and confused and there's no peace, like that's time to pause. But I think we also, I think we often use spiritual language to then spiritually bypass, not taking responsibility for how we're showing up in our lives, from our careers, to our love lives, to our relationships. And we, we kind of like, put on God, something that like, isn't God's to hold, like you get like, we are the legs and feet. So we get to use our giftings to propel a redemptive God story in the world. And that means we got to move our feet. (laughs) That means we have to do the work. And, you know, something I think about a lot is just this idea of, you know, if you want to be a neurosurgeon, like, yeah, pray about it, but also you have to apply for college. You have to have the grades to get into college, the references, and then you have to get the grades to make it through those seven, 10 years of school. And then you have to do your residency. So I think really like the invitation of God is this partnership of doing life with God. And you're going to have to leave a prayer closet at some point and start applying, (laughs) applying yourself in your life and like doing the legwork. Absolutely. I was just listening to Christine Kane's podcast and she said, you will not possess what you won't pursue whether that's like a deeper relationship with God or a healthy relationship in your life, or like you just said, being a neurosurgeon, like you have to pursue it to possess it. And just like, Mm -hmm. you need to be in drive for God to move the steering wheel. Right. Right. So um, that's just so good. So, so good. And it is tricky because there is, you know, mixed signals out there of like, okay, just sit still and wait, you know, or Mm -hmm. take action. And is that bad? And it's, it's, um, it's almost kind of easy to go, I'm just going to wait, because like, that means I don't have to be vulnerable or put myself out there or do anything scary, Um, which putting yourself out there, starting a business, starting a podcast, oh, man, that is scary. You know, people are going to listen to it. Like, people you love are going to listen to it. And that's almost the scariest part is some of the people that know you the most. It's like, Oh, well, are they getting, I don't know. So. Yeah. I mean, I think you're on such a good, a good line of of thought there. And I think something that I constantly ask myself is, is my action or inaction rooted in fear or freedom? Mm. Because God's heart for me is not fear or, you know, oh my gosh, I can't move because what if I make the wrong decision? So much of life happens by fumbling forward and sideways and up and down. Like I am here today because of a thousand missteps and I wouldn't have had it any other way. And so I just always go back to, am I not doing this because that's really the invitation of God to invite me to pause and to be still and to seek wisdom? Or am I, am I not moving because I'm afraid Hmm. and there's healthy fear, right? Like the fear, thank God is what helps keep us alive. You know, don't cross the, that busy street right now. There's a bus coming. You should be afraid to cross the street right then. However, Mm -hmm. I think so often we allow fear to dictate our purpose and then we become shells of the people that God really destined us to be. And so for me, I'm always curious, how would I be showing up in this circumstance, this conversation, this career move, this date, if I was being driven by love, possibility, faith, hope, freedom, abundance, as opposed to fear, lack, rejection, shame. 
I think it's having that posture of curiosity of like what's really going on underneath the surface as opposed to kind of stopping at, oh, well, I'm just going to not do this because I'm waiting on God. Well, what's underneath that? (laughs) What's the belief under that statement? That's so good. That's so good. And I love how I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I love how you dive into some, what some people would consider really taboo topics or things we don't talk about as nice Christian girls. Okay. You know, and, um, you know, I grew up in Alabama. I grew up in the church and, um, my journey was a bit of the prodigal daughter and coming back to Jesus and finding Jesus again inside of Hillsong NYC, where we both went to church and, um, unfortunately never saw each other at the (laughs) place. It's quite large. And you have gone and taken on these topics that are so crucial to conversations because you're opening up and being so vulnerable in areas where we're carrying a lot of shame, especially as women, um, and we're not feeling seen or known or heard. And and I just want to applaud you for diving into these conversations about you know, our bodies and our minds and our desires, even masturbation or these topics of purity and, Mm -hmm. and what does it really mean? You know, and, and I just, just applaud you. And I'm curious, was there like a moment where you had a shift to really say, you know what, I'm going to go there. I'm going to lay it all out there. I'm going to be vulnerable. Cause that's, it's scary. Like take me through the process. Have you always had that kind of confidence or did that, (laughs) was there a moment or was it little by little? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And I, when you ask that, I think of my dad and my dad says this thing to me all the time. He's like, you're so fearless. Like that there's my fearless daughter. And I always think it's funny when he says that because I feel afraid all the time. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I feel afraid all of the time, whether it's doing a podcast series on is masturbation a sin or doing, I just recorded a podcast episode today with a friend about how scripture has been used to weaponize and oppress women. I mean, I'm talking about some really hard hitting things. Is my body bad? What's the idea about purity? And why does it seem like women are not quote unquote as sexual as men are? And why is it the responsibility of women to cover their bodies so that men can uphold their sexual integrity? Like do we think so low of men that they cannot take ownership over their sexuality? And so I think for me, I've always been the person, Polly, that is, there's an elephant in this room and we should talk about it. Mm -hmm. However, for so much of my experience as a woman of faith, I have downplayed my truth, essentially. I don't know how else to say it. I don't mean it in a woo-woo way, but I've downplayed my experience. I've downplayed questions that I have about the way things are. Mm -hmm. And really, I think for me, what I realized is my breakthrough came the moment I realized, man, I am literally trying to please everyone in the room. And in that, I am quieting the person that God has made me to be, and I'm abandoning myself. And that's not God's heart for me. And so I think I kind of had to get over pissing people off because mm. I think I finally realized no matter what I say or do, whether it's a political stance, whether it's talking about dating, whether it's talking about finances, there's going to be someone that resonates with it and someone that doesn't resonate with it. There's going to be someone happy about it and someone not happy about it. And I can't dictate my life and what I do or do not do based off what everyone around me thinks. So for me, it was saying, okay, I am done trying to be everything to all people. Cause when I'm doing that, I'm actually saying nothing and I'm not being true to who I am and my experience and, and things that I want to talk about. And I want to stay in the lane that God has me in. So that means that I might ruffle feathers in the church. It also means I might ruffle feathers in culture. It also means that I'm just ruffling my own feathers. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I feel like God kind of gave me this invitation of like, don't look to the left or to the right or see what anyone else is doing. Like, keep your eyes on me. Like, Be on this path with me. And it's not going to look like what it looks like for other people. But trust me, 
trust the process. And so in that, I would say that that kind of started happening a few years ago because really my website, my blog was not faith-based at all. And I kind of had this like coming out blog post where I was like, Hey, I'm actually a Christian (laughs) and here's what I believe about God and why, and we're, I'm going to start talking about this. And, um, so it's been little by little, just talking about more and more things. I talk a lot about sexuality, spirituality, really dismantling and deconstructing shameful sexual scripts that we were given by the church and purity culture. And honestly, Polly, it was like the more and more I got into it, the more at bats I had and the more research I did, the more I realized, oh my gosh, like I never thought this was going to be like my thing that I was going to be talking about. But the more I talk about it, the more passionate I become about it. The more I research the God of the Bible, the more passionate I am about debunking any sort of oppressive messages for women in our culture. And so it definitely wasn't an overnight thing for me. And I still... I every day I'm afraid to say stuff. The presence of fear doesn't mean that you can't move through it. And often for me, what I have found is the most untapped freedom and healing comes not by avoiding the thing that I'm afraid of, but by looking at directly in the eye and with God moving through it to the other side. Oof. You are challenging me so much right now and I am loving it and also terrified. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. So let's dive more into the topic of the book because it's such a beautiful message and it's, you know, what you've been researching and pouring yourself into and it's sexless in the city. So walk me through who this book is for and, um, really the heart behind what you want the reader to know. Yeah. So this book, honestly, the biggest person that it's for is myself. (laughs) It's for the me 10 years ago, who was navigating, you know, hookup culture, dating, singleness in New York city as a woman of faith and realizing, oh my gosh, almost everything that I've been taught about sex and intimacy and relationships and my body and dating has been given to me by men who mostly got married in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. And, and largely at that, it was white men at that. And it's not that what I, I wasn't necessarily saying everything you're saying isn't true. I just felt like you have no idea what it's like to be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and actually be walking out dating in our culture, the hookup scene, online dating, swipe right, swipe left. And so I wanted to hear from someone who was actually walking it. And I also got really tired of hearing pastors tell me what I could and could not do physically in my dating relationships. When, as it turns out, a lot of those same pastors were and are addicted to porn and running around on their wives and can't keep their junk in their pants. And so I just felt like, no, I want to hear from someone else. And the reality is that there's not a lot of content out there about what it is to have a biblical renewed vision for sexuality written by women. And so I was like, well, I, I guess I'll just create it. I'll share my story. I'll share what, what, how that has looked like for me. And, um, really, I mean, I grew up in Southern Christian culture. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but Christianity was sort of the air I breathed. So when I became a Christian, things like quote unquote purity or saving yourself until marriage weren't shocking news to me. And I didn't really question it and it didn't really, it's, it didn't, it's not that it didn't matter to me. I just, I didn't date a lot. So it didn't really impact me. And I thought, oh, I'm 17. I'll just get married at 19. Like most Texas girls anyways. So (laughs) I will only not, I will only need to abstain from sex until I'm, you know, two more years. Well, fast forward, I'm 35 and still single and walking this journey and how wondering how do I walk this out well? How do I kind of unpack the shame narratives I was given, deconstruct those and reconstruct like a God vision for this time of my life? And so I feel like my book is for 
I mean, it's largely for women of faith who are navigating singleness in today's culture, but it's for the woman who's married, who feels ashamed of her sexual desire. It's for the guy that is navigating the the same cultural messages of hookup culture and instant gratification and is curious about walking this season out a different way. Um, so I feel like largely it's for single women of faith. However, my, one of my best friends who is an atheist is like my biggest champion for this book. She's like, I can't wait for people to read this. This is so fascinating. So I do think it, it transcends belief systems and ages and relationship statuses as well. That's so good. I can't wait to read it because, Mm -hmm. you know, even as I raise my daughter, you know, what do I want her to know about her body? And um, that, you know, she's designed by God in a beautiful way and to not carry the shame that I know I grew up carrying of, you know, you're dirty or disgusting or hide this, fake it, or, you know, mm. be kind or not that we shouldn't be kind. And yeah, some of my thoughts probably were sinful here and there, you know, or a lot more than here and there, but I, my body isn't a sin. Like my physical desires were created by God. And that wasn't a narrative I was fed a lot. And I don't want to disservice the people that sewed into me as a child, because I know they were doing their best. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have those. And as I unpack it more, it's, it's, it's crazy. And and I think you're really illuminating something really beautiful, because if you're going to have a healthy marriage, you know, if I want my daughter one day to have a healthy marriage, well, she's got to have a healthy self image, right. you know, she, if she, I don't want her walking into something, um, carrying so much shame about the beautiful way that God created her. So I think it's for yeah. everyone, you know, Absolutely. I can't and, wait. Oh, thanks girl. And I think it's so important just to, even just what you're saying is what is the message I want to give to my daughter? What is the, what is the message that I want to give to the next generation? And I think Mm -hmm. I was given this message that especially as a woman, my body is bad. My body is threatening and I need to protect my body from the male gaze. And I don't want to have my quote unquote brother stumble. And, you know, I'm not advocating for walking down the street in, you know, butt naked with nipple tap tassels and being like, I can wear whatever I want, whenever I want. And that's on them. No, I'm not saying that. I think there's, there can be a mutual honor and kindness with how we approach each other. However, the narrative that it is a woman, that the female body is bad is, is not biblical. Mm-hmm. It is not biblical. And the idea that our sexual desire is bad, that our sexuality is gross or only designed within the context of marriage is actually out of alignment with scripture as well. Like we, I think often we start the God story at chapter three where, you know, everything goes to crap and, you know, Adam and Eve sin and the, they get cast out of Eden, but the God story starts in chapter one. And the God story says that God, the climax of creation was the creation of humanity and God created everything else in the universe, the plants and the stars and seahorses and freckles and said, those things are good. But when, when God got to humanity, God said, I want to make humans to be mirror reflections of me. So every human, regardless if they're a Christian or not, embody that divine image that reflect the image of who God is character qualities and, and all these beautiful things. And then God says, and humans are very good. Mm -hmm. Everything else is just good, but humanity is very good. And so that doesn't just mean my spirit life and then my body's bad. Or when I get turned on, that's bad and gross. God's not like, Oh my gosh, when he gets turned off on, that's what happens to his body. Whoa, (laughs) disgusting. No, God created it. And God said it was good. Very, very good. So honestly, the idea that the body is bad and less than the spirit or that it's evil or tempting, that's not biblical theology. That's rooted in Gnostic dualism. 
So I, I think that's an important distinction just to share, because I think so many of us, I think women, especially we've been, we have grown up to believe my sexual desire is bad. Being turned on is gross and taboo. We should never talk about it. And when really like our bodies are part of what reflect the God image, like that's a very good thing. And my desire even can reflect the God image. And so to really normalize healthy conversations around our body and how, how we experience our body and each other, I think it's just so important because for whatever reason, <laughs> parentheses, the patriarchy, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that message has been hijacked for women, especially, and it's oppressive. And, and that's not, that's not the culture I want my daughter to grow up in, but it's also not the culture that I want to be in. Sure. This is so good. One of the things that just stood out when you were talking that reminded me that oftentimes there's a a thing, maybe it's sexual desire or another thing that you would consider a vice, right? Like let's say there's shame in the idea of desire or the idea of, you know, being turned on. Mm -hmm. And I know I have in my life lived in a space where when I have that and I put the, let's say like a jacket of shame on, I feel like I've disconnected from God. Like there's times in my life where I feel like I pick up the phone or I'm too scared to even pick up the phone to God. And the connection's like, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, when I get in this space or I have these thoughts or these feelings, Um, I am disconnecting myself from God and that's the feeling I have. And I know other people have felt that way. Like when I um, made this mistake in my past or I took this action or I looked at that website or whatever it is, I disconnected myself from the love of God. And I'm now in a space where, you know what, I don't even want to go back there because this is too big. It's too hard for me to get over this sin or this desire. And I'm already here. I'm already activated, you know, like the concept of I'm sexually active. Well, now I'm activated and I don't want to go back to purity. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to disconnect and walk away because it's too hard. And I know so many people have taken that road. um, And it's, it's scary to the concept of going back to a full purity. Um, And how do I even navigate that when I've got Instagram and everything on my phone that is triggering. And so I feel like so many people get this false mindset that God is now far and the line is cut. The line is disconnected and there's no, there's no way I can get the line back. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's so important for that person to know like God never left. Like he is so near and he is for you and he loves you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, you know, when you're talking about feeling disconnected from God, ourselves, others, I think a huge part to kind of go back to is, okay, why am I feeling disconnected? And even just kind of the beginning of the conversation of talking about sexual desire and feeling turned on and feeling like that alone is shame inducing. And, you know, shame has the agenda to keep us small, hidden and stuck. So whenever I feel that shame, I'm like, okay, like shame is not God's heart for me at all. Like God didn't create me to be small, stuck, hidden, but God invites me to an abundant life. And so first, like let's normalize sexual desire and being turned on. What a normal human experience. I mean, if you're never feeling turned on or connected to your sexual desire, maybe there's hormonal imbalances or maybe you've shut down your sexual desire because you thought it was gross or bad. So I think first and foremost, like let's normalize and humanize the experience of feeling turned on and having sexual desire. I think the next thing is really reclaiming this idea of purity. For me, like even when you're saying pure, I'm like, oh, like it's, (laughs) it still feels very triggering to me as someone who grew up in purity culture and the height of the purity movement, because so much of the narrative that many of us, I feel like an entire generation was fed was that my purity is hinged upon what I do or do not do between my legs. And so then salvation relationship with Jesus becomes like the gospel becomes Jesus plus virginity plus works plus 
did I mess around with my significant other or not? When the invitation of Jesus is, is Jesus alone. And so actually the only thing that makes me quote unquote pure is Jesus. It's Mm. not Jesus plus anything else. And so I think we have to be really careful when we talk about things like purity is, you know, like, what are we saying underneath that? Am I saying that like my action or inaction can like keep me pure or not? I, I, I personally have a problem with, with that. And also I know that my frame of reference is coming from a place of growing up in the South, growing up in evangelical culture, where that term purity was really used in a, an, in a shaming way. And so I think, you know, to your other point of, you know, what do we do when we are sexually activated, when we're feeling turned on or, you know, I like saying, oh my gosh, I feel triggered by Instagram, or maybe I like watching pornography or whatever the thing is. I think the first thing is to acknowledge your desire. The desire isn't bad. The desire is really good and it's God given. And how can I connect with my sexual desire regardless of my relationship status in a way that keeps me connected to myself, that keeps me connected to God and to others, as opposed to keeping me small, stuck, hidden, isolated, and in shame. Oh, wow. That's the question that I want to ask is, can I stay connected to my sexual desire and still be connected to God and my values? Mm, that's so good. So what is like, if you had like a nutshell explanation or, or a word for somebody that is walking this journey of, um, I guess, singleness, seeking, you know, wanting to feel less shame in their God-given human nature, sexual desires, um, mm-hmm. but wants to, has that desire to um, to follow God's will for their life in that regard? Like, what is your advice to that person? I would first invite you to, and by you, I'm, I'm not meaning like you, Polly, like you, you who are, who is listening to this right now, I would invite you to be open to a more expansive definition of sexuality and desire. So for a long time, I thought, oh, sexuality means sex. (laughs) So if like my sexual desire is activated, the only way that that can be fulfilled is through sex. And that as a person of faith is saved, quote unquote, for marriage, if I choose it to be. And, and that is it's really problematic when we take sexuality and we flatten it to like a one dimensional thing that can only be experienced with one action. And, and so in that, I would say, what if we expanded that definition? So one of my favorite books is a book called redeeming sex by Deborah Hirsch. And it just transformed my life. And she talks about how really sexuality is like the the macro vision of sexuality is the human desire that all humans have to connect outside of ourselves with a lowercase o other Hmm. and spirituality is the human desire that all humans have to connect with the divine or the capital o other so we can't really talk about god without talking about sex and we can't really talk about sex without talking about god um that's that's a rob bell reference from his book sex god years ago but what hirsch is saying is when we think about sexuality and desire we just think about sex but actually if sexuality were a book physical intimacy would just be one chapter and i think for me, like expanding the vision for sexuality, that felt so freeing because I thought, oh, wow. Okay. So if we're going back to Genesis one and God created me, God created my body, my mind, my spirit, and said, it's all very good. Then that means that God created me holistically, not compartmentally, which means that my sexuality is not just reserved within the confines of marriage, but if sexuality just means sex, then what does that mean? So finding a new definition for sexuality, that was like, oh, It's the desire that gets me out of myself and into relationship with others. Like, whoa, okay, sex is just one one chapter of a whole book. Then that's Mm. really, really good news as a single person. 
That means that there are a myriad of ways that I can connect to and embrace my desire, my sexual desire, and in ways that feel honoring. So for example, um, we, when you think of sex, babies are made, right? So sex is the ultimate form of collaboration and creativity with another human being. And it makes a new art form. It makes another human being. So one thing, one way that I can activate my sexual desire as a single person. And when I'm feeling just turned on and excited is, okay, how can I create something new with other people? Like my, my pastor in New York, he talks about, you can have this eroticism for life that propels you to connect with others and create new things. So you want to start a podcast, grab a friend and do it in collaboration. Don't create an isolation by yourself. How can your desire connect you with other people? I think a huge way of practicing our sexuality and desire is the art of presence. And the art of being present is really just the practice of sensuality. And I know sensuality and the word sensual just feels so like to me, I think of like dripping candles with wax. And yeah. Or like chocolate covered uh, yes. strawberries or Absolutely. some very Manilow. We'll see. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I know it's on your playlist now. So, yeah. Well, not really, but um, <laughs> it's just fascinating. I, and I have to stop right there. Cause it's like, every time you say one of these words, I can't tell you how many things pop up in my head and you're literally like erasing and rewriting definitions mm. for me that I've never considered. Mm. And I think I can hear my mom listening to this episode and being like, oh, they're talking about sex a lot, but it's like, no, we're not. We're, you know, we're, um, it's rewriting these definitions and giving yourself permission to, to see beyond what you've learned. And that's just, right. it's so, it's so neat. Anyways, go back to what yeah. you were Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. Kind of reclaiming words and thoughts that mm -hmm. maybe felt dirty or gross and saying, okay, well, what if we approached it shame-free? So mm. when we approach sensuality shame-free, sensuality is really just the practice of being present. So in any sexual encounter, like I, I listen to like Esther Perel and all these sex therapists. And it's like, if you want to have a pleasurable sexual encounter, you have to be present. You have to be fully committed to the moment. Well, we are not a present people. No. I mean, we are distracted. We are on our phones. We have Instagram, TikTok, all the things open. So as a single person, if I want to practice the art of sensuality, the art of being present, I'm going to throw a dinner party and everyone's going to put their phones in a basket when they, when they get inside and we're going to eat together and be present with each other and with ourselves. We're going to eat good food. We're going to drink good wine and be present. One of my friends, Dr. Celeste Holbrook, she's a sex educator. She says that children and babies are some of the most sensual beings because you see a little toddler playing in the grass and they're like touching the grass. They're smelling the grass. Yeah. They're probably putting the grass in their mouth and like, oh, yeah. you know, nothing else <laughs> matters besides them just getting to know the grass. That's sensuality. That's mm -hmm. being connected to yeah. our sexuality is being senses. present, being present to your senses, being curious, being led by curiosity, being creative, imagining. And in order to do all those things, we have to practice being present. So put those freaking phones away for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, notice what happens when you get present to your senses. So all of, I mean, these are just a few ways, but I just think it's such good news for single people and people of faith and just humans in general that, oh my gosh, there's more than one way to express my sexual desire. Sexual desire can be expressed in a thousand and one ways outside of orgasm. Orgasm is amazing. Sex is incredible. And as a person who is choosing to abstain from sex until I'm married, I have so many other ways that I can manifest my sexual desire when I have that more expanded view of what sexuality is. Mm, that's so good. And, and I think presence, the concept of presence is so crucial um, as Christians to fully live out your faith. Like you have to be able to be present to uh, pursue that relationship with God to be present in your prayer life and to be present when you're reading the Bible. We, we currently as a humanity have like the attention span of a goldfish right now, or it's, I think a little bit less. 
And that's such a missing topic too, is the practice of it. And because we're so addicted to technology and the next, you know, you know, Instagram is designed to feel like a slot machine, you know, something new, something new. Um, we've lost the art of boredom, which is where so much creativity is born. And we've also, a lot of people have given themselves a story that is, I'm not creative. That's gone. You know, I can't draw a stick figure. I'm not creative. I'm not artistic. When, because you're created in the image of God, you are an artist. Your life is your canvas and it's yours to create. And it's so important to take the ownership, to grab the paintbrush, to say, I'm going to create something amazing and I can rewrite this and I can learn presence and enjoy the pleasures of life and the pleasures of this body that God has given me in this precious time I have on earth. When you were talking about your dinner parties, I was thinking, gosh, that sounds so French. I think Mm -hmm. French people have mastered the art of sensuality in the sense Mm of being present um, and, and teaching their children, you know, to sit and have long meals, enjoying like the best cheeses, which I think are very stinky, but they like Mm. them and the best wines and the, you know, these long dinner parties, that's part of their culture, you know? Right. Even the kids. Yes. And oh man, I, one of my favorite places ever is Paris. And I remember being there a few years ago and just counting on my hand every time that I would see couples just making out on the street. I just was like, this is so amazing. Everyone here is just so unashamed of their sexual desire and their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something really beautiful about feeling present and at home in our bodies, not ashamed of our bodies, not Mm -hmm. ashamed of our desire. I just think that there's something really healing in that. And I think, um, there's an invitation for us to step more fully into the, the part of us that for so long, I think in, in faith circles and Christian culture feels so, Oh no, no. Or we can't really talk about it or it's hush hush or really, you know, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. Okay. Well, like, let, like, what if we decided to fully be embodied with the person God created us to be? That might make things harder to preach from a stage <laughs> mm-hmm. because sound bites and do's and don'ts and rules and lists are easier to preach, but they don't really live well because we're humans, not robots, and there's nuance. And so, like, God is there's like black and white truths about who God is. And then living life is freaking messy. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much gray in that. And so I think, what is it to give ourselves permission to sort of step into some of those gray spaces and be curious and ask questions. And yeah. um, there's this quote that says, I think it's Grace Hopper. And she says the most dangerous, the most dangerous phrase in our language is it's always been done like this before. Yeah. And so just because you grew up in a culture of shame around your desire, or just because you grew up in it, or you're in a community that thinks online dating is bad and sinful, like doesn't mean that you have to think that be curious why do I hold this belief about X, about online dating, my sexual desire, whatever it is, is this really in alignment with God's heart? Why or why not? And just be, I think approaching it with a posture of curiosity and freedom is important. That's so good. And I, I think this all ties into a lot of the identity work that you talked about and really the concept of our value. And that's something I wanted to touch on just, um, the identity work of where my value comes from, because I remember being single. It wasn't that long ago. And for me, it's like, okay, you get all this message from the church of purity and you're like, that's great. I do want to honor my husband. I do want to do all this stuff. And then you are in the world, living in the world, right? Going to school and you're taught, okay, if you're sexy, if you're desired, you know, you have a certain value. If, if men look at you, if you get these responses and you get it, you get excited by their responses, you have more value. Like this person is 
you know, there's like a rank system with women. And then it's like, okay, well, as a woman, we've got these levels we're taught. And I was explaining this to my husband last night and he's like, what? I had no concept of this. It's like you were mentioning the, um, the concept of feeling JV to a varsity with being unmarried or married. And, and it's the same thing if you've been a mother or you haven't yet. It's like, well, that's another level of womanhood. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to get to the next level. We have these desires taught to us about these levels of becoming a woman. And I was talking to Luke about it last night. And he's like, we don't have that. Like we're just on the same level, married or not. At least this is his perception of how he grew up as a man. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, like that wasn't like, oh, now I'm more of a man because I'm married or, oh, now I'm more of a man because I'm a dad. It's like, no, mm-hmm. like it was just what happened to me. And it's just so fascinating because I know for me in my dating life and how I grew up, um, I marked my seasons by who I was with. Like mm-hmm. I was excited to share, hey, hey, this person likes me. And like, that means I have value or if someone was interested in me and I felt sexier wanted, like that provided me value and, and ultimately filled the void of someone thinks I'm special, someone thinks I'm enough. And it was just all pointing to the fact that I had so much identity work to work on. And that's Mm -hmm. why I ended up in my dating life, like having so much pain Mm -hmm. um, because I just gave myself away because I did not value myself for who I was. My value was contingent on who I was with. Mm -hmm. When I looked back at, even when I'm talking with people like, oh, this date or that date, it's like, I don't have a date in a calendar. It was like based on who I was dating. It's like, I measured in love, right? Like rent, like, seasons like how do yes. you measure? you know it was like it was all measured on who I was with and like mm-hmm. when I look back at that it's like oh Polly like you had so much value and you just sat on it and you based your value on who you were with and who was going to let you think you were special you know mm-hmm. there was such a void because I didn't do the hard identity work and I just I I don't know. I have a heart for people in that same space of being stuck in the, where's my value if no one's seeing it, no one's acknowledging it verbally to me, you Mm -hmm. know, or texting me about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're, it's, it's addicting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think in that, you know, you take a human that we all have our wounds and our baggages and or our luggage, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. our pain that we take into any circumstance. And, and then you add on top of that, the culture that we live in. So we live in a culture that like from the culture, from culture to church, like women are expected to, we are told that our identity is elevated when we are in a relationship and the church largely revolves around the nuclear family. And so the pressure to the pressure to, to find your identity in a relationship and then as a mother and then as a homemaker or whatever you want to call it, that is, those are the invisible threads that, and messages that we're given from the time we are barely walking. We're watching movies like Cinderella and I love Cinderella. It's Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite movies, but you have a woman who is broken and insecure and needs rescuing and saving. Like we, from all these angles are told that like, we will be complete Mm -hmm. when we meet a person. And so I think there's just, I just have so much grace and compassion and empathy for myself, for you, for so many of us who like struggle finding our identity externally and especially in romantic relationships, because it's, it's sort of what we've been, it's what we've been conditioned to do and to interrupt that pattern and to do deep heart work takes so much courage. It's totally countercultural. And so even when you're saying, you know, I was sitting on my, I was sitting on my worth, you know, it's like you weren't set up in a position to make you believe that you had higher worth, you know? And so saying like, no, I am more than my relationship status. My season in life is more than who externally likes me Mm -hmm. and approves of me and doing that heart work of who does God say I am? And do I have the courage to believe regardless of anything external that because I exist, because I breathe, I matter. 
not because of anything I have or haven't done, but because like Genesis one, I have the God image in me. I matter. I am worthy. It's a completely countercultural message to buy into everything else around us. Church and culture is saying, yeah, but this, but this, but this, add this, add this, and then you'll be more spiritual or better or worthy or enough. I think there's just so many things at play there. Absolutely. And I don't have my personal experience of finding my husband. Like I don't have this fairy tale story of like, well, then I finally got my identity and I regained my purity and, you know, he showed up on my doorstep and pursued my heart. Like, nope. Like I was so broken and unwhole and I hadn't done all the identity work uh, when I met my husband, Luke. And it was six months of us not even being in a committed relationship. And it was absolute torture, like feeling unwanted, feeling not enough, feeling like you're in that interview space. And I, and I did not have the backbone to say, I'm leaving if I'm not your girlfriend. Then I knew who he was, was so great. I was like, I don't want to push any boundary. Like, I don't want to like freak him out, you know, don't freak him out. Don't freak him out. Don't be too much, you know? And it ultimately led to a huge roadblock of like where we almost broke up because I just, I was fed up at one point because we were, we weren't exclusive um, and we weren't, it didn't look like we were getting there and I wanted to be chosen. And so finally we were at the roadblock of ending it all and, um, and he didn't want to end it. And, and then he was like, I choose you. I want to, I want to pursue you. And that was the first time after six months of me just not valuing myself. And I had really good guy friends. I was living with a guy friend at the time, actually in Brooklyn and he didn't like the, he could see how the relationship wasn't healthy, you know? And he was like, I don't like this for you. Like, Mm -hmm. why doesn't this guy want to come hang out more? Like, Mm -hmm. why doesn't he want to be my homie? You know? And, uh, and I was like, he's, I don't know. I had just made excuses and made excuses. And I think the only real reason Luke and I ended up making it work was I, I regained my identity in Christ. I started going to church and I started, I told Luke, I'm going down the rabbit hole. Like I'm going all in back in my faith, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was like, cool. And then eventually he came and he jumped back into his faith. And what worked about us was we were open and Luke always was game for a challenge for something new and for improving and working on himself. And so I do give him a lot of credit because despite him not pursuing me in the way I wanted him to valiantly pursue me in the early days, he has always pursued being coming better as a person and like just learning and growing. And so that worked for us, but it was hard. Honestly, it wasn't this fairy tale. Like I just kind of waited and this guy showed up at church, you know, like, mm-hmm. nope, like it was really hard. And a lot of identity work throughout those three years of dating. And then now these five years of marriage. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's really powerful. I think I hear some really cool threads in there. One is look at the price we pay for not standing in our worth or holding ourselves high. You're paying a a cost Mm -hmm. for not owning your voice and your breakthrough happened when you said, you know what? No, I'm worth more than that. And I, up until this moment, maybe I haven't been sharing what it is that I really want, but this is what I really want. And, and the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think, man, we pay a really high price when we abandon ourselves and when we abandon our voice, our worth, and it just looks like so much breakthrough is on the other side of you really stepping into your worth. And I think that's super powerful. And I think it's super powerful to have a partner that's committed to growth. Mm -hmm. Like life and relationships are not about the absence of conflict. We're going to fight and we're going to have disagreements, but it's about like who who I am and how do I show up in the breakdown? Am I open to feedback? Am I humble? Am I willing to grow and to be with a partner that when confronted with the opportunity of growth, you they, you can be like, well, that's your problem. This is who I am. Do you accept me for who I am? Or you can be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that's how I was showing up. And I, I want to grow. Like, let's, I want to grow. I'm going to take responsibility for how I'm showing up. And so 
I see just such breakthrough for both of you guys in that in your relationship, you taking a stand for, Hey, this is actually not what I want. This is what I want and communicating that. And cause I think a lot of girls will end a relationship or walk away before communicating their wants and needs and then be upset for the guy not being a mind reader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you and gave it- him an opportunity. You're like, actually, this isn't working for me. This is what I want. Can yeah. you show it for me in this way? And I had to be willing to surrender it. Like if this isn't going to be what I know I need, I am surrendered to what's better and, and what that next thing will be, you know? And that was hard to, to like, cause I had to be willing to like show up for myself and potentially lose out on something I was really visioning for myself and, mm-hmm. you know, putting my eggs in those past in that basket, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So I have one, one more question. I know we've been talking for a while. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I have a question. What was the hardest chapter for you to write in your book? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Every single one of them. Um, you can also share the easiest to write or whatever kind of, no, that's a really good question. Um, Gosh, the hardest chapter for me to write was when I started talking about physical boundaries and dating. So a huge, um, like a reason why I read, wrote the book is because I was a virgin my whole life and then started dating this guy in New York, fell in love, got heartbroken. We ended up breaking up because I wouldn't have sex with him. And that sort of led me on this journey of, oh my gosh, what do I believe about sex? I've always believed that it's for marriage, but in the heat of the moment, like, because the Bible told me so, like, it doesn't really feel super compelling anymore. And, um, and so that's kind of what led me on my whole journey of research for, you know, five or so years of researching every verse in the Bible and about sex and relationships and all of that. And, talking to anyone and everyone who would talk with me about sexuality and physical boundaries. And what I really, really do believe is that my quote unquote, like my virginity became enmeshed with my salvation and relationship with Jesus in a way that was really unhealthy. Um, And so I think, and I think this happens in church culture that we, we worship virginity. It's like, okay, well, like, you know, Jesus, it's Jesus, but also are you a virgin? And if you're not, then like you're at a lower table, like talking, you talking about the different level of elevations that we have for each other. And I realized just how much, even though I didn't want to be associated with these like damaging messages, I still kind of worshiped virginity Mm -hmm. and, and I have a chapter where I kind of redefine sex. Mm. And I realized I never questioned what sex was. And I, and so in my dating relationships, I was like, if I do everything, but like everything, but sex, like I'm good. I'm still following the quote unquote rule that God gave me. And I, what I wanted to challenge is like, okay. So for me, it was like, sex is penetrative sex or, uh, uh, vaginal intercourse. So as long as I abstain from that, but then I was like, well, what if you're LGBTQ? Like, is anyone who doesn't identify as heterosexual is are, are, are they all virgins? And what does it mean to have sex? Is sex just one thing or is it a pool of experiences? And essentially now I believe that sex is not just one act. It's like a pool of experiences. Mm-hmm. And I really encourage my reader to really sit with like, what were you taught about sex? What do you think sex is? Where did you get that definition from? Is it possible it could be more than just that? <laughs> um, and so by my own definition now, like I'm not a virgin. And I had a really hard time writing that chapter because I was like, I still really care <laughs> what people think of me. Mm-hmm. Even though I have this message where I'm like, my worth is not dependent on what I do or do not do between my legs. I found myself writing that chapter feeling shame Mm. and feeling like, oh my gosh, like I have put myself on this pedestal of virgin. Like I'm the 30 year old virgin, but actually by my own definition now, like I'm not. And so it was really hard. And I realized, wow, like this is revealing in me that I still like, I, I feel like this is such a weird outdated world, but like virginity was an idol in my life. Mm. 
And I realized, wow, like I'm sharing this message to other people of freedom. And yet I still really want to hold on to this um, as a way to make me feel better than, or to make me feel more worthy. And so I was like, man, God, clean out my heart. (laughs) It is Jesus alone, grace alone. Um, and not what I have or haven't done sexually. Um, so that was a hard chapter for me to write because it just stirred up so much in my own heart of, oh, wow. I didn't know that I still was super attached to this thing. Oh, wow. I'm so excited about this book. I think it's going to bring so many women who might've felt that disconnect or shame and give them a new lens to understand the grace and love of God. And I'm just, I'm so excited about the ripples that this book is going to cause for people. Um, and no matter what season they're in, I'm so thrilled. So tell us one more time where to get the book and when it releases. Yeah. So the book comes out April, 2021. So this spring, and I I don't know when this is going live, but you can get it on, you can get on pre-order right now, pretty much anywhere. Amazon is super easy. You can go to Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Cokesbury, christianbooks.com, pretty much anywhere. Kindle, Audible, all the places. I would love for you to buy my book. If you do send me an email at social at the refined and I would love to send you some free supplemental goodies that I created, um, to support you through going through my book. Um, but yeah, you can, you can get it at any of those places. Just Google sexless in the city, Kat Harris and get yourself a copy. <laughs> Woohoo. That's awesome. Um, and I will be putting all of the links in the show notes for, Kat's um, podcast and her socials and where you can just find all of her stuff. So be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening to the dream planning podcast. I hope that this episode has blessed you in some way. If it did, please take 30 seconds to leave a quick review on iTunes or Apple podcast. I love seeing your feedback and I read every single one. Also, if you want to help spread the word about this podcast and this ministry, please share a screenshot to your social media, either your Instagram or your Facebook and tag me in it, tag Horatio Printing. And I would love to just connect with you on a deeper level. Now, before you go, I just want to make sure that you know you are invited to join the Horatio Printing Academy. And if you've been feeling stuck or stagnant in your ability to dream, or maybe you've been feeling unqualified to really put yourself out there and dream those big dreams and pursue the things that make you happy, I wanna help you through the dream crafting course. And I have a gift for you. You can use the code DREAM50, that's DREAM50, to get $50 off the dream crafting course. Now the doors are opening May 14th, and I cannot wait to welcome you into the Academy. Every single member of the Academy gets access to our student community, which is a private Facebook group filled with dreamers encouraging each other on this journey together as we discover our purpose and really conquer limiting fears, the fear of judgment, the fear of failure, and any limiting beliefs that are holding us back from our dreams. I cannot wait to see you in there and you'll also get access to our live monthly support sessions. So if you wanna take your dreams to the next level, do not wait, go over to thedreamerinyou.com, use that code. And as I said before, the doors open May 14th and I cannot wait to see you there. And I truly believe the best is yet to come.